does always feel like family when I get to be here. Uh, and uh, so, so grateful for what God has been doing in this house. Uh, and I was saying somebody to somebody earlier, actually, to Sam, uh, that it seems like uh, this house, this family, this body, uh, this part of the body of Christ has been cultivating uh, rich soil of worship for so many years. And it wouldn't it be just like the Lord to begin to produce a fruit and a harvest out of that soil? And so every time I come in here, I just, I, I feel like I, I'm not really, I don't know anything. That's the extent of my agricultural knowledge. Um, but I feel like I'm coming into a well-cultivated place. And I think I said this before, but you might be somebody that is new to Church Untitled. And uh, don't kid yourself that when you come into this place, that this is kind of like a new thing the Lord is doing all of a sudden. No, this has been a well-tilled soil place. There has been several years of faithful Jesus followers who have been lifting up the praises to our King. And so if you're coming in here new, just enjoy it. Just enjoy the sweet fruit that is about to be harvested in this place. And I just get a real sense, even over the city, you know, this location right here is such a significant place in the city. And what you guys have been doing, you know, we talk a lot about um, worship is our battle. Worship is our warfare. And this isn't just some sort of trite thing that, that is some sort of Sunday school story. This is very real, friends, because whether you know it or not, we do wrestle against powers and principalities of the unseen world. And there is spiritual forces in the city here that is waging war against ideologies, against our, our, our people in the city, against families, against humanity here in this place. And the way that we do warfare is not just through social justice issues. It's not just through hands and feet initiatives, but it is also through worship. And I believe that this house, this place, this people would be like the Levites, would be like the worship leaders in the city that would trumpet sounds of victory over the city and that walls would come crashing down. Because I don't know if you know this, but like, man, we're not going to change the world through our own resources. We just can't, friends. And this morning, as I transition into that, I want to talk a little bit about spiritual gifts and the part that each one of us play in seeing the kingdom of heaven come on earth in Vancouver as it is in heaven. The part that each one of us play, turn to your neighbor and say, you, you, you. If you've got a Bible, turn with me to, some of you really liked that. You're like, you. <laughs> First Corinthians chapter 12. First Corinthians chapter 12. This morning, we're going to open up a, a few uh, biblical passages. So uh, if you've got your Bible app, uh, open that up and get ready to just rip it with your thumb. If you are a uh, sword drill expert, then open up your hardcover Bible and just get ready to rip it. Let's go. Don't rip it like, like it's a, yeah. first Corinthians 12, verse four. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but it's the same Lord, different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, everyone, 
everyone. It is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, by faith, the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. Jump with me real quickly to Romans chapter 12, a few pages before Corinthians there. Romans chapter 12, verse 4. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If it's prophecy in proportion to our faith, if it's service in our serving, in the one who teaches in his teaching, in the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Father, we pray that as we unpack this text this morning, that you would just illuminate in our hearts the role that you have invited us to play through the empowering and equipping of the Holy Spirit in our lives. God, I pray that this morning there would be like a, a pilot light that would just erupt our bodies in flame today. God, we pray that you would breathe new life into us through the power of your Holy Spirit. God, that we would see the role that we are to play in the body of Christ. And everybody said, amen. Growing up, I grew up in a fairly uh, charismatic church, and uh, I-, I loved seeing like really kind of cool spiritual things take place. And uh, it was always really interesting. We would have like you know those special like man and woman of God come to our church and they would just be like, you know, they've got the gifts, the power gifts. And they would come in and they would do prophecy and it would be like so powerful and everyone just be like, whoa. Um, but I, I often remember that, that so often the common narrative, the common theme that would come out of, and it's not these people's fault, it's not the church's fault, it's just how we interpret situations is the, 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 the comment would be, whoa, look at that person right? It'd be like, whoa, they're so gifted. They're so talented. Like they've got something that we don't. And to a degree, to a measure, that is true. They have a spiritual gift that that you or I probably do not have. But through the years, I think there has been such an overemphasis on a few key individuals in the body of Christ that we have neglected to understand this simple concept that it is a body of Christ, And Paul really tries to drill this message home in the New Testament quite often. And we miss it so many times. But he wants us to understand that when it comes to spiritual gifts, when it comes to the role of the church, it is a requirement that all of us function in the body of Christ, as he says. And I find it fairly even ironic. You know, here I am up here as a guy who has a gift of the gab, we could say. You determine if it's a spiritual gift later. But 
and here I am, I, I, I'm, I'm the one kind of telling these things. And we so often we come in and we listen to a, a, a talk of a very gifted person. And then we go out and we think, well, what can I do? If I can't do that, what role do I play? If I can't do what maybe these six or seven people did within this one and a half hour time frame of an entire week, what could I possibly do in the kingdom? And I just think it's one of the most crippling lies that the enemy would be telling us today. The fact that you would come and experience something so powerful and so incredible that you would leave so short-sighted of the role of the body of Christ for the rest of the hundreds of hours and locations outside those doors that me nor Brandon are able to go and participate in. And so this morning I have one real simple goal. That this would turn into almost like a locker room chat And that you would come in and be inspired to know that when you leave those doors, you have a significant role in the body of Christ. Not only is it significant, but it's required. But the effectiveness and the power of the body of Christ is contingent upon you walking out those doors, knowing what role you are to play. So I first want to show you that God has been working throughout all history, the way that God has tended to kind of work. I want to give you a bit of a crash course there. And then second is I want to show you what Jesus kind of thought about the gifts of the Spirit. And then third, I want to take us into the early church and into today of how we can participate in this same story. So first up, First, it's important that we recognize that God has chosen to partner with humanity in the flourishing of earth and ultimately the reconciliation of people since the very beginning of time. Okay, this is a mouthful. God has chosen to work with humanity for the flourishing of earth and the reconciliation of people since the beginning of time. What am I talking about? Genesis chapter one. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea. And all the fishermen are like, yeah! And the birds in the sky, the livestock, and all the wild animals, and all, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, the image of God he created them, male and female. Then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number or multiply or reproduce. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. You see, here in this moment, we, we see and understand this, this phrase, this Latin word, the imago Dei, which is the image of God, the, thumb, the fingerprint of God on mankind. You see, humans are not valuable just because they're humans. We as Christians believe humans are valuable because they bear the DNA of the God of the universe on them. I mean, that's, that's a total different story. Humans are not valuable because they've got blood and a heartbeat. Humans are valuable because they are divine creations. And so we value humans and understand that there is a unique role in humans unlike any other thing that God created. 
God takes humans and he says, I want you to play an important role with me in the flourishing of the world. <clears throat> and I just think this is absolutely insane. In Genesis chapter two, God goes on to invite Adam to name the animals. And it, it sounds kind of like, you know, once again, this Sunday school story, but I just find it absolutely mind blowing that the God of the universe who definitely could have come up with some names invites a human from dust to join him in the naming of creation. And then I started to think about it. God in this moment says to Adam and Eve, I want you to recreate what I have created. Just take a moment and think about this. The God who hangs stars in the sky produces living humanity, gives people the ability to do the same. Like he could have, if he wanted, just continued to make humans out of dust. He could have just kept on creating. But the God of the universe says, no, the role of creation, I want to partner with humans in doing with me. Some of you aren't getting this. Like, this is insane. God creates the universe. He can do whatever he wants, and then he chooses to use these jabroni people to partner and create other jabronis. <coughs> like, it's just amazing what God chooses to do. And so what we see from the very beginning of time is that God chooses to create interdependence with humanity. And then we weave the story all throughout the Old Testament. God continuing to use humans for the flourishing and reconciliation of the world. Here's a few examples. Through Abraham and Sarah, God chooses to create a nation out of a small family. Through Bezalel. Bezalel was this, this, this random kind of Israelite who had gifts, these, these amazing gifts of artistry. God chooses to use this young guy to create beautiful art within the temple so that people can be pointed towards the God of the universe. He chooses to empower and equip this young dude named Bezalel with his spirit to create fine artistry and craftsmanship in the temple. Then we see the Levites, these Levites, these, this group of kind of holy people within the nation get chosen to be kind of the priestly leaders to mediate the rest of the Israelites towards God. I mean, he could have just came down and did his own thing and showed himself. No, he chooses to use the Levites. Then we see people like Moses and Joshua filled with the spirit, partnering with God to lead a group of people through the desert to the promised land. We see people even like David, filled with the Holy Spirit and fiery courage to defeat enemies. We see people like Joseph, filled with the Holy Spirit, with the ability to interpret dreams, not to create money out of it like some dream teller, but to save an entire nation and to see the flourishing of a nation. And so God is using all of these people through the Holy Spirit all throughout the Old Testament. And all of these signs and wonders, all these things that we're seeing in the Old Testament 
all of them are pointing to a future reality of the one who will come and ultimately do all those things in full fulfillment with Jesus. And so all throughout the Old Testament, we're seeing God work in these humans, but all of these are beautiful signposts to the one and the only God-man who will come one day and do these things. For example, the story of, of Moses and Pharaoh, God hardening Moses or Pharaoh's heart, and then ultimately letting a people, an entire people group be freed. And then God parting the Red Sea through Moses with, with his staff and then walking through. All of these things are foreshadows of what Jesus would ultimately come and do. The waters of baptism, people being freed and washed completely clean through the finished work of Christ. It's a foreshadowing of Jesus and the ultimate work of Christ. Then we even see the story of Noah. God tells Noah to build an ark, to take all the animals with you. And ultimately God floods the whole earth and destroys and redoes humanity. And then ultimately a rainbow appears and we read this story of the rainbow. And I love the Jesus storybook Bible. It's a kid's Bible, but it says this. It says this concept of, of God said that he will never do this again. He will never destroy humanity again. Instead, what he will do is as we see in the rainbow, it's like a bow that is no longer turned down towards humanity. It is now turned upward into God's heart where one day he will ultimately pierce his own heart through the sacrifice of his own son. And he will destroy his own son for the sake of humanity. And at one, one time, what all of humanity was lost, at one point now in future, all of humanity can be saved through Christ. A foreshadowing of what Christ is about to do, to come and set people free. And Jesus does come, doesn't he? He does. He comes on the scene and is baptized by John the Baptist. And it says that the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus. And I've said this before, but I think it's a really important factor for us to recognize as we unpack this idea of spiritual gifts. Is, is that in this moment, as Jesus has the Holy Spirit descend on him, all of the miracles and all of the power and all of the significant work that Jesus does is not because of his divine nature. It's because of the equipping of the Holy Spirit in his life. And this is important because when we look at the miracles of Jesus, so many of us are like, well, it's because he's, he's God. He's divine. He's the one who hung the stars in the sky. He was the one in the beginning. No, we don't believe that because, yes, he is divine. And yet at the same time in Philippians 2, it says this. Christ Jesus put on the same mindset as Christ, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider himself equality with God, something to be used in his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by coming obedient even to death, even death on a cross. And that's why when Jesus arrives on the scene and he finds himself in the synagogue in Luke chapter four, and he says what? The spirit of the Lord is upon me 
because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so Jesus arrives now, baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, and he begins to do the same thing that God's been doing all throughout the Old Testament, but now in the full fulfillment of it, bringing new life to people with healing, wholeness, peace, and joy, and pointing to a new kingdom that is breaking in. All of these pointing to this full restoration that one day we will experience. All of these things that Jesus now filled with the Holy Spirit begins to do is this foretaste of saying, this is what heaven is going to taste like. This is what heaven is going to look like. And Jesus begins to do these miracles, this work of the Spirit, the same thing that God's been doing for thousands of years. He now, in the fulfillment of this, is walking this out, but it doesn't stop there, friends, does it? You see, we begin to see that Jesus begins to equip and empower his followers to do the same work. I love this. In John chapter 20, it says that Jesus breathes on them. You know that word breath, this breathe on the spirit into them is the same word that back in Genesis chapter 1, Ruach, the spirit of God that was formless and void and hovered over the earth, the same spirit from the beginning of time, now is being breathed into the followers of Jesus. This powerful moment. And what happens when they are filled with the Spirit? What happens when the early church has seen what Jesus is doing and now are filled with the Spirit? They begin to do the same things that Jesus did. We see dead guys being raised to life. We see powerful signs of radical hospitality. We see courageous public speaking. All of these gifts proclaiming a message and a miracle much bigger than themselves that this is what heaven is going to look like, friends. This is what heaven is going to taste like. And this inbreaking kingdom begins to slice its way into the world with every courageous, spirit-filled Christian wherever they go. Heaven comes right into that moment. It's powerful. It's powerful. And so the beautiful part of this, friends, is that the story doesn't stop with Jesus. And it doesn't stop with the early church. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead and filled the early church is now available to be in us today. That's amazing. That the God of the universe who chose to use Adam and the first humans to see the flourishing in the world still is in the business of interdependence with humanity. And I think if you actually think about this, it's kind of ironic because at, in one sense, it's a pretty bad plan. Like, if you think about it, like, if we all kind of scanned our weeks here, I mean, heck, let's just scan yesterday. We're probably not the most qualified to see the reconciliation of the world. I mean, a few of you are. I know Brandon is. He's very holy. Why are they laughing, Brandon? <laughs> We were together yesterday. (laughs) 
Like, it's like, God, there's got to be better plans out there. Like, like we're so broken and we forget these things so often. We lose our identity so often, don't we? We're like sheep that have gone astray, the Bible says. And yet the Lord in his kindness and grace is so stubbornly committed to being interdependent with humanity that it just blows my mind and just moves me to a place of awe and worship that you would choose to partner with us in the reconciliation of the world. Like, who are we, God, that you would even consider using us? But we don't have to look far, friends. We don't have to read much in the, in the scriptures to realize that this is the way that he set up the family business. This is the model that he's chosen to use. And whenever you feel yourself beginning to buy into the lie of the enemy that you are not worthy, that you are not qualified, that you do not have what it takes, remind yourself that the God who hung the stars in the sky, that same spirit who raised Christ from the dead is in you, friends. And it reminds us that we are no longer slaves that we are now called children of the living God, co-heirs with Christ. And these things that we have access to, now we have access to through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is who we are, friends. This is what heaven looks like. And so let's jump into this a little bit more granular. What do this, the gifts of the Spirit look like? I love this quote from Tyler State, and he says this, the Holy Spirit makes Jesus more alive personally, and the Holy Spirit makes the work of Jesus more public. And isn't that true for us as followers of Jesus, is that when we experience the Holy Spirit, it says that we recognize that we have been adopted as sons and daughters. It makes Jesus more real. That's how you know you've walked into a Jesus church, right? Is as you walk in, does the Spirit say, whoa, look at that gifted person? Or does the Spirit say, whoa, look at the Lamb of God who was slain? That's what the Spirit is always doing. If you're wondering if it's the work of the Spirit, is it pointing to Jesus or is it pointing to you? Is it pointing to a person or a problem? But not only that, I love this, that the work of the Spirit makes the work of Jesus more public. What are the public works of Jesus? Healing. Dead people being raised to life. The poor being set free from bondage. Reconciliation of marriage. Restoration of families. These are public displays of the work of the Spirit. And just as God, through the Holy Spirit, created creation as a thing to be viewed and seen and been in awe of, we too now, through the work of the Holy Spirit, get to see the things of heaven and be in awe of them here now on earth. Ever seen someone that has been through pain, addiction? Be totally restored. That's as beautiful as a galaxy. You ever seen a marriage on the brink of disaster? Be totally restored. That's as beautiful as a tall oak tree. Have you ever seen someone be healed physically, emotionally? It's as beautiful 
as a sunset. The work of Jesus now more publicly viewed. The inbreaking of this kingdom now into this place. And so these gifts were so emphasized in the early church as powerful demonstrations of the kingdom, powerful demonstrations of what God is doing in people's lives. And, and, and this role of what the Holy Spirit is trying to help us do is to begin to reproduce the works of Jesus all around us. You know, that that's what a disciple is. A, a better word for a disciple is actually apprentice. Apprentice is, if you picture, once again, my limited construction knowledge, um, if you picture somebody in carpentry, um, they'll like learn how to like hammer, like their, the boss dude hammers, right? I'm very good at construction, right? And they'll do the, the sawing, they'll saw like their, their boss man, right? Don't saw like that. It's not, you're going to cut your fingers off, right? They, they say these things, right? No, but honestly, that's what we are as apprentices of Jesus. As we look at the life of Jesus, we say, what did Jesus do? And we say, Holy Spirit, help me do what Jesus did. Because I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want the things that he did, the way that he operated in the world, that's who I want to be. I don't want to be like, all these other people around me that I follow on Instagram. I, I dare I even say, I don't even want to be like other pastors. Like as Christians, and Ryan would say this, your role here at church is not to be like Ryan. He is desperate that you would know and follow in the ways of Jesus. And you can only do that through the filling of the Holy Spirit in your life. And so we follow in the role of the Holy Spirit and these gifts now begin to make the ministry of Jesus more public around us. John Ortberg says this, they are means of grace, vehicles through which I receive power and freedom so that the ordinary moments of my ordinary life can be an exercise in the participation in Christ. And I love this quote because it's so true in Romans 12, actually, in the message version, uh, Eugene Peterson says, here's what I want you to ta do. Take your everyday, ordinary life. And I think this is important when we think about the gifts of the Spirit, because as I said, we're coming into the locker room here for an hour and a half, and the rest of us are going to go back to our ordinary lives. How many would say you live an ordinary life? Yeah, the rest of you are lying. We all live ordinary lives, Right? We go to work, we eat, and sometimes we do drive through at A&W. And we've got ordinary lives. But the Holy Spirit is this means of grace where in our ordinary, the extraordinary can happen as Christ begins to be made new in our places of ordinary. Right? This ordinary world that we live in. And that's where the gifts are actually the best. In the ordinary. Jesus did do some cool things in the tabernacle, in the places of meeting. But I would argue that 90%, and if not the best of the best stuff, happened out there in the ordinary world. Jesus is walking around. Jesus is lounging with some friends. Jesus is hanging with the homies. Jesus is in the ordinary places. And heaven, bam, in that moment comes into that space. We don't read about a lot of revival services in the tabernacle with Jesus. We want to talk about revival and renewal. 
Let's begin to take that narrative and place it in an image in our mind that revival and renewal will look around the water cooler in our office. Revival and renewal will look around the playground where my kids are playing. Revival and renewal will look around in my living room. That's the places where the kingdom wants to come to the in-breaking place. This is where God wants to show up. And so what are the gifts? Let's talk about this. I've got what, who, how do we get them? Tyler goes on to say, they are expressions of Jesus's character entrusted to his followers. So as a community, we can be his body. So these are physical, visible expressions, tangible. You can look at them, touch them, see them. You can experience them. And then the question is, is whose gifts are these? Because this is what maybe delineates us from the world. Here in 1 Corinthians 12, it is very clear that these gifts that we receive are from the Holy Spirit and they are the Holy Spirit's gifts. And one thing to note as we look at what these gifts are and whose these gifts are is to delineate the difference between natural gifts, learned gifts, and spiritual gifts. You see, many of you in this room are very gifted at something. But the difference is, is that there is a unique spiritual gift that God has for you that would even surpass your natural giftedness in something. And that's really good news for some of you because you might think, man, I have nothing. I got nothing to offer. But can I tell you this morning, friends, that there is a unique spiritual gift that God wants to unlock in your heart that is imperative for the body of Christ to flourish. We need you to discover this and we'll talk about how. But on the flip side, there's a few of you today that are very gifted in something. But the challenge for some of you who are very gifted in something is that that might not be something that the Spirit has embedded into your heart and DNA, and that might just be a natural gift, but it actually might lack the power of the Holy Spirit. The challenge for some of you who are very gifted in some places, in business, in music, in art, is it can be very hard to delineate, is this a gift from the Spirit, or is this just my natural gifting? Because there's going to be people that are going to look at you and be like, wow, you're so gifted. And you're going to feel like, man, God has given me this gift. And that might be true, friends. But one of the things that I think delineates between being gifted and having the gifts of the Holy Spirit, I love this, what John Thompson, he said, John Thompson says. He says that gifts of the Spirit are guaranteed places of encountering the presence. And so my question to you as we unpack in a few moments what these, some of these gifts are is, is when you operate in your gift, do people experience and encounter the living God? That's a big statement, I know, because we, some of us have kind of a, a bit of a limited mindset. We might think, well, I don't preach or I don't do worship. No, when we talk about some of these gifts, let's talk about leadership. Let's talk about hospitality. When someone experiences your gift, are they like, ooh, ah, wow, you're amazing? Or are they like, ooh, ah, wow, there's something else about you that's amazing? There's a set-apartness about you that's amazing. 
There's something that I, I can't really explain. They might even call it the X factor. There's, there's something unique about what you have to offer. And when you do that thing, something seems very different about it. It's like somebody that hosts a meal, for example. And two people could cook the exact same meal. They can have the same exact same decor in their house from Ikea. They can duplicate the exact same experience. But how many know that when you walk into one person's home and you sit at their table and you walk into another person's home, if somebody has the gift of hospitality, that place can feel like a place of encounter, can it not? There's something about it like, we don't even have words, right? We talk about that, that, that person that cooks that meal and it's like it was made with love, we say sometimes, right? You know who you are. You cook with love. You know who you are. But it's true. There, there is a spiritual gift that delineates a person from doing it with somebody that might just be gifted at it. The other thing that I'll note about somebody that is gifted versus somebody that has a spiritual gift, is the sustainability of the gift. If you are somebody that is gifted and you continue to do something and you might even feel like you're a gifted worship leader or gifted communicator, gifted business leader, if this is not a gift of the spirit, the fuel source for that gift will run dry eventually. Because the father wants to fill you with his Holy Spirit in this area of gifting and he wants to sustain you. And in fact, it actually should be something that fills you and fulfills you. It should be something that doesn't deplete you. A couple few points, a few more points on the gifts. First Corinthians tells us that it is God, the one, God is the one who determines the gift and the amount of it. I think this is a bit of a hard one to swallow as we read in 1 Corinthians is that there is actually limitations to people's gifts. That there is certain elements of our gift sets that we wish that we would be somebody that is somebody that has like a level 10 of that gift. And, but out of the kindness of the Lord, he knows what we can steward. He knows what would be good for our heart. He knows how the body of Christ should play and function. And we have to trust him. Not only that, but the Bible is pretty clear that you don't get to pick your gifts, but they are freely given by the Holy Spirit. And so as much as many of us want to aspire, and I've seen this so many times in the church, people want to aspire to a certain gift set. They, they want to become like that person because they see an anointing on that person's life. And so they so desperately want to replicate that. But Paul makes this very clear is what is the point of a foot trying to be a hand? We don't need you to be another foot. We've got two of them. That's plenty. We need you to be a hand. We need you to be what God is calling you to be. And if there's anything else other than that, it actually would be the detriment of the body of Christ. If you aspire to be something other than who God is calling you to be and operating it in that gift set. And in that same vein, these gifts are not about us. 
So many times in our narcissistic culture, we look at gifting and talent to be about how you can make your life better, how you can make your life more fulfilled, how you can become more famous, more accolades, more fulfillment. This gift, if you're ever wondering if this is a gift of the spirit, start to ask yourself, am I pursuing this so that it can make my life better or am I laying my life down like Christ in service towards others? Does this gift serve other people? Or is this gift about serving me? Is this about others? Or is this about serving me? You see, because gifts, in the same way that God fills us with his Holy Spirit and invites us into an interdependence, the beauty of what Paul's image here of the body of Christ is, is that the gifts are also about interdependence in the body of Christ. Our gifts actually require connection with other people. And I find this to be so fascinating because everything in our day to day, every narrative that is going on is around pushing towards isolation. And I think one of the fascinating things in the church that maybe we've missed is that the gifts are one of the deepest parts of interdependence and connection that cultivate community and family within the body of Christ. But how many of us know we've been in the church for quite some time, we've noticed that there's been such a limitation of the types of gifts in the church, and all that it's done is created more and more isolation and disconnection from the body of Christ. Because there's a handful of people that have discovered their gifts, bless them, but there's the rest of us that are still wondering what in the world am I supposed to do? And we begin to believe lies of narcissism and isolation and we begin to separate from our community and we come to church and we just begin to be consumers and critiques rather than beginning to be contributors and owners in the body of Christ. And so we need to understand what our gifts and the role that we play because it is the key to cultivating family and community in the body of Christ. Because when we operate in our gifts, it requires interdependence between other people. There's no gifts that are operated in isolation for yourself. The gifts are to serve the body of Christ. And it creates a reliance on each other. And lastly, we cannot compare ourselves to others and their gifts. Comparison, it's been said, is the thief of joy. And the body needs you to understand your gift. And so what do the gifts of the Spirit do? Two quick things. First is they point to the resurrected Jesus. They remind us as Christians that we are loved, called, and adopted. A gift can affirm the identity of Christ in another person. And it's so true that when you see somebody get unlocked in their gift set, when you see somebody discover that, it's such a beautiful moment of, of seeing an identity begin to be unlocked. Not an identity that says, whoa, you're gifted. But as we said before, an identity that gets unlocked that says, whoa, you're a beautiful daughter of Christ. And so the gifts point to Jesus. They point to the resurrected Savior. Secondly, is the gifts empower us to do the stuff that Jesus did. 
We talked about this, that they make public the works of Jesus. So here on the screen, real quickly, is a bit of a short list of gifts. We've got miracles, leadership, mercy, healing, words of wisdom, prophecy. All of these are listed in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and Ephesians 4. And I encourage you to go and check that out. And so then the question is, is how do we discover what gifts we have? And this is where it gets to be a little bit tricky. And it is difficult. There's there's not a ton of like five steps to kind of like here in the Bible, here's how you know what your gifts are. There's not a ton of clarity. <clears throat> and I think we probably need to be careful about looking at things like gift set tests and these online tests to show us what gifts we are. And I, I think that's fine, but I also just think it perpetuates isolation and discovery of self and just perpetuates narcissism because you're just trying to make it about you. Anyway, sidetrack. <clears throat> yeah, wow. Tell me what you really think, Tim. Holy. Scrap that from the record. I found these three areas to be helpful ways of knowing gifts. Tim Keller, a great leader of the faith who just passed away a couple days ago. He says this, affinity, ability, and opportunity. Affinity. What human needs do I gravitate towards? What interests me? What passions and this is really cool. I, I like that, that he says this because sometimes we think of gifts in the church as like, oh man, am I going to have to be like with the four-year-olds upstairs? God, please, no. Like, don't make me. Like, if you hate being with kids and you feel like you have not an ounce of hospitality or patience in your life, that's probably not your gift set. And so it's okay. There is natural affinities in our heart of how God has made us. And so the question is, what human needs do I gravitate to? I love that question. What human needs? Not what human social preferences and clubs do I like hanging out at? Right? It's like, oh, I really feel the gift of golfing. <laughs> you know, it's an affinity. It's just my heart. I just really connect with people that golf. What human needs do you have an affinity towards, okay? Second is ability. What am I good at? But not only what am I good at, but I love this. What do other people say I'm good at? Once again, interdependence, connection with community. What have other people said I am good at? And then lastly, opportunity. What are the needs around me, the open doors? What needs to be done? And so you might find yourself as somebody wondering like, man, I just don't know what my gifts are. I really don't know. And all of a sudden they're like, hey, we need a four-year-old preschool leader upstairs. And you're like, I don't know. But there's an opportunity and a need. A great way to find out is go to the need, right? You might be wondering, like, don't just sit around wondering and waiting for somebody to like come and like hover their hand on top of you. You have the gift of wisdom. Like it's not, like it might happen. Praise God if that's happened to you. Man, that's amazing. But what are the opportunities, friends? What are the open doors? I mean, we walk out that door right now. There's going to be 4 million opportunities for you to begin to 
wonder and try what your gift set is. And in this church, there is going to be ample opportunity that will come out to show you for you to try. So lastly, in closing, why does this matter? This is very thin teaching on gifts. You'll have to get the real pastor to talk more about this later. Why does this matter for the church? I want to wrap up with this. Is In 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says this, but understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Denying its power. I think spiritual gifts have always mattered, but I think in this day and age today, it matters significantly Because people are longing and looking for an encounter with power with the living God. What do I mean by that? We've got no shortage of the world out there knowing the name of Jesus and knowing churches, knowing the term evangelicalism, knowing the Christmas story. But what is lacking in people's knowledge of the church and knowledge of Christ is an encounter of power with the Holy Spirit. And as we talked about, our gifts are guaranteed places of encounter with the Holy Spirit. And so as you begin to be somebody that has the gift of leadership, hospitality, wisdom, discernment, that gift now begins to be a place of holy ground where people begin to enter and interact with the living God with. And this, friends, will be one of our greatest witnesses to the world. My wife, she's got the gift of hospitality and she's got this gift of of just incredible peace and listening. And it boggles my mind that there's people like just random. She'll be at a playground. She'll be with some sort of like mom group thing that moms do. I don't know. And um, she's at these places. And sure enough, she's literally with a person for like 30 seconds. And this person's entire life has been spilled out. All their deepest, dark secrets, all their wounds, everything. And she's like, just like feeding a baby. Like what? Like she didn't say a thing. But this gift set creates guaranteed places of encounter. And like the woman at the well, and like every person that Jesus encounters, there is an opportunity for the world out there to encounter the living God through your everyday ordinary lives, friends. That your ordinary mundane life, animated by the work of the Holy Spirit, can create guaranteed places of encounter with the living God. Do you want to be a part of that? Do you want to be activated into this interdependence with the God who hung the stars in the sky? What a joy to partner with him, friends. Because friends, we are not just saved from something. We are so much more than that. We are saved for something. 
Our salvation is not just a ticket to ride, to chill until the end of the days. No, our salvation is contingent upon heaven coming here on earth in our everyday lives. Would you stand with me as we close? As I was praying for this morning, there was just a few kind of categories of people. Do you mind throwing that uh, gift set up on the screen for me? And I just was kind of praying through the list. And I don't want to do the hand thing where I tell you that this you're the person with this gift. I think it's important that this community really continues. And I believe that they do this through the DNA class. And so if you haven't done DNA... Make sure you sign up for that in the next round. But there was two kind of gifts here that jumped out at me that I think there's a couple people here that have been wondering. Um, You've noticed some things happen in your world that are kind of out of the ordinary in kind of out of ordinary places. The first one was this gift of administration. And I feel like there's um, a couple people here that are incredibly good at at organizing things like you're so good that in your workplace people keep coming to you and keep saying things like how the heck did you do that and you kind of shrug it off because you're like ha I'm I guess I'm talented and I just want to say to you today that your office cubicle will begin to be a tabernacle of encounter Because there will be a, it's like a door has been opened through your spiritual gift. And there will be such trust and rapport and respect that you will actually have boldness to say something to the effect of, I don't know, but I think it has something to do with how God has gifted me. Do you want to know this God? And then the last one was this, was uh, discerning of spirits. I had a sense that there's a few people here today that um, you can't really put a finger on it, but you, uh, when you're interacting with people, there's like a, a feeling you get like, ah, I just saw it was like you're looking at their eyes, but you actually see something through their eyes. Like there's a story, uh, there's a um, there's another story going on as they speak. And as you see their eyes, there's like a, a veil that you see through. And there's a discerning of spiritual attack that has been on people, but you haven't had the courage or the discernment to know, is that what God is doing? And I want you to just to consider talking to your pastors, talking, getting some training and what it means to begin to do some spiritual warfare. But I just see you as like a, as somebody that has this quiet spirit, as people are speaking, there's a different spiritual narrative that you're picking up on. And the Lord wants to give you keys. He wants to give you insight to discern the spirit of that person. 
the dark forces that have been uh, demonizing them, that have been bringing pain and suffering to these people. And in Jesus' name, there's going to be a casting out of demons in people. And that might sound crazy for a Vancouver kind of progressive culture, but I know this is not this group. There's going to be people that is going to, like friends, like just open the gospels and you're going to see casting out of demons. Like this isn't some weird charismatic things. Friends, this is the public work of Jesus made in our everyday. And so if that's you, uh, you know, definitely don't just go running out the door and start flailing at demons. Get some training, talk to your pastors. But there's a discerning of spirits that is on a few of you. Father, right now, we thank you. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, that is in us. Right now, would you stretch out your hands? We just want to say a simple prayer of a refilling of the Holy Spirit. We just say, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Fill us afresh. God, open our eyes to the unique gift set that you're calling us to. Come Holy Spirit. I just feel it's important to say that if you have confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord, that you have invited him to be the Lord of your life, there is an infilling of the Holy Spirit right away accessible to you. You've been wondering, is this spirit thing for me? Yes. Jesus says, yes. The only way that you can confess Jesus is Lord is by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so don't wonder anymore. You have access to the Holy Spirit. And right now there is a new filling of the Holy Spirit right now just washing over you. Come Holy Spirit. We pour you, pour it out, Lord God. Pour it out. More of you. Come Holy Spirit. 